Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Tuesday, September 28th, and I'm your consumer goods host, Emily Flippin. Today, I am joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst Asit Sharma, and we thought it'd be fun to keep up our discussion on the shoe market after last week's episode over Allbirds by discussing a recent IPO, On Holdings. They're the maker of the On Running Performance Shoes. Asit, thank you for joining as always. Emily, thanks for having me, and I hope to have my game on for the next uh, <laughs> 25 minutes or so. You're going to set the bar high for the number of on puns we can make during today's episode. Rock on, my friend. <laughs> well, on is really interesting. It, it it reminds me a lot of Allbirds. We'll get to how they're different, but um, I, I do think in a lot of ways I'll probably compare the two. And the first way that it's similar to, to Allbirds is actually through its founding story. This is another shoe company that was founded by a group of people that are really in to shoes. And they do have a focus mostly on performance, and we'll get to that. But there's an eco element to this business as well. There is. And the thing that strikes me between the two companies is that uh, it's something you pointed out in the notes, actually, Emily, when we're pre- preparing for this episode. On seems to have more of um, an entrepreneurial bent to it, or more of a, a killer instinct to make money, although it's got uh, a foot, a shoe in the sustainability uh, pond, I think that it is maybe more geared ultimately towards performance. We talked about, and, and I mean financial performance here, not necessarily running performance, although the shoes have a very interesting technology that underlies them. We talked about the fact that all birds had both the um, B certification uh, and some other elements in the company that made them more friendly to shareholders' values, that element is here, but not as strong in On Holdings. Yes, definitely. This was a business that was founded a while ago, though, back in 2010 in Switzerland, of all places, uh, by Olivier Bernhard, and I I'm hope I'm pronouncing uh, their name correctly, but uh, Olivier and two friends, uh, one was a six-time Ironman champion, three-time world champion, also a professional athlete. He really wanted to give the world a better running shoe. And in particular, he was going after this thing that he calls lift. And I think a lot of runners will be familiar with it. It's that nice little bounce you get when you run. And I have to say, um, I'm a little skeptical. So I, I am by no means a a you know, fervent runner. There are people at the Fool and across the world who run marathons, even half marathons. I am not that person. I am, I am a casual runner at best who's been wearing the same pair of running shoes since quite literally high school, I believe. They've come with me through everything. And the idea of having a little bit of bounce underneath my foot actually doesn't sound that appealing to me. I I almost feel like I'm cheating myself of the running experience. But apparently, for a lot of runners, and Olivier being one of them, this is a really valuable aspect as as part of their running regimen. And that technology is the idea that underpinned the creation of on running. That's really curious, Emily. I actually have the same feeling when I look at shoes. I don't want a shoe to be so advanced that I feel like I'm cheating. But apparently for many serious runners, it's more about using the technology that 
uh, is going to propel you, but also do less harm to your your joints. And I guess the the way that you can visualize this is not too dissimilar from the way a good running form works because you're going to be leaning forward, landing hopefully closer to the balls of your feet, if I'm not mistaken. I've been a runner for a long time, but I know there are many different ways to look at proper running form. But that sort of lean forward, land on the balls of your feet, uh, this shoe mimics that because the balls of your feet, of course, has cushion and then bone underneath it. So it has a land and then propel forward you naturally have that land and propel forward motion when you run. I think personally that this mimics it a bit. Cushion landing and a firm takeoff. The shoe has uh, basically a rubber structure underneath it that collapses when you hit the ground and then helps push you forward. And we we talked about with Allbirds the fact that as you mentioned, this was started by an athlete who teamed up with an engineer. I want to make sure everyone heard that Emily gave the actual uh, statistics for um, Olivier, Olivier Bernhard. I said last time that the Allbirds founder almost made the national Australian uh, soccer team, and I was corrected on Twitter. Uh, one of our friends tweeted out that no he actually made the team and he played in a few games so I'm glad you got the facts here straight (laughs) well let's hope I did it it certainly is impressive whenever you have a business that's founded by an athlete because you you get some I guess buy-in about the technology the the need for the creation of this business and so I like having Bernhard um, I guess at the helm of the creation of on running because it says, hey, here's an athlete who had a problem who wanted to solve that problem. And it was very quickly after founding the business in 2010 that on running's prototypes started getting transaction. They were winning, oh, or I guess say traction. They're winning awards. Uh, professional runners were, were getting interested in them. And it didn't take very long for this idea to just really start getting exciting, especially in Europe. You know, you might be in the US thinking, I haven't heard about this, but this technology has been around for decades across Europe. Yeah, they started, as you said, in 2010. They have, as, as you mentioned, a co-founding team. I like that the, uh, one of the co-founders, David Alleman, gives the, the history of how the company took off in Europe. When they went to trade shows and, and running events, they would wear t-shirts that said, don't ask me about the shoes. And they would literally make people try on the shoes before they answered any questions, which is sort of the reverse in in a sales situation, right? You've got the shoe in front of you. You want people to ask you questions so you can demonstrate the shoe. They made people put them on, and then they talked about the shoes, which I thought was a really uh, intuitive way to have people generate word of mouth after trying them on, wanting to buy them. Uh, this seems like a, a smart strategy. I also wanted to mention here, they have two additional employees they brought on early on uh, in 2013, Mark Moore and Martin Hoffman. Both of these came from a food business called the Valora Group. Moore and Hoffman now are co-CEOs. Hoffman's also the CFOs. The co-founders in the prospectus talk about how they don't want to have a very hierarchical structure at the company. So they sort of have a team of equals that are running this, and they appoint executives to be in charge of certain areas of the company that 
aren't uh, attached to titles, but they're just sort of uh, strategic areas. So they have a, a very much a team approach to managing the company. So far, so good as we'll talk about here in just a, in a minute. The revenue has been uh, very impressive to date. I will say, historically speaking, having co-CEOs has been a challenging proposition for businesses. I can probably count on my hand the number of businesses that I've made co-CEO roles work. I think Atlassian stands out as one, but it's challenging, right? You, you talk about how great it is to have a flat team-based structure, but when push comes to shove, it's challenging to run a business that isn't hierarchical, right? When there isn't a single decision maker, a single point of responsibility. I'm not saying that they're going to fall into that trap here, but I think it is something to watch out for. I will say, I love when you said, you know, they have to force people, you know, put on the shoe before you ask questions about it. And I, I think this this idea probably still persists today because I'll tell you what, um, I went onto their website, I looked at some of these shoes fully thinking, maybe this is like Allbirds, maybe I'll replace that very old pair of running shoes. They are pricey. Um, they are nearly double the price of Allbirds. I think they're right around the $200 to $300 range for a pair of shoes. So certainly trying them on first might make someone more amiable to spending that amount of money on a pair of shoes. For sure. I have a little bit of experience with on shoes, never purchased them before. And I'll be honest, uh, when our friend and colleague Brian Feraldi suggested that we tack on this show since we had done Allbirds, the name sort of flew over my head. But I have um, my three sons, who now the last one just started college last week, they were all cross country runners in high school. And I remember going to our local uh, runner's shoe store, looking at all these brands. If you are a runner, these shoes aren't necessarily expensive. They are, for serious runners, priced alongside shoes like Brooks, Hoka, Saucony, Asics, as well as uh, more familiar brands that offer higher-end running shoes with, with their normal spectrum shoes like Nike and New Balance. So if you are serious about this sport, the price range for me, 140 bucks is an average price for uh, a new Brooks shoe, and also uh, these shoes fall into that range. That's probably what you plan on spending. My memory is that that was a painful price tag to look at with three <laughs> young men who are <laughs> two years, based two years apart, uh, all on uh, cross country teams. So we often bought the last year's model of Brooks on sale in the high school had a time with the shop. So there was an additional discount on top of that. But I, beyond seeing the on shoes and, and Hoka shoes, these shoes, which are higher tech, we never really tried them on. Maybe if uh, I became a more serious runner, I would. So I lean to what you're saying, Emily, because there's a bigger thing we need to extrapolate out of this. This is not a mass market shoe that on its brand power alone is going to become a uh, a Nike. It's going to remain a specialty shoe. And the company strategy is to sort of stay up market, I think. They're opening retail stores, which we'll talk about in a bit. But um, this is not a shoe that uh, you're going to buy just on a whim. 
And it's a smart move, in my opinion, to stay up market because uh, this also isn't a shoe that you're going to be purchasing very frequently. And you'll have a lot of very serious runners who maybe replace their shoes, you know, once every year, two years. Um, but you're, this isn't something that somebody is, is repurchasing on a frequent basis. In fact, unlike Allbirds, On Holdings didn't report out what their repurchase rate was, like what percentage of revenue comes from existing customers. But what they did say is that 40% of their sales do come through their direct-to-consumer channels. And that's good for their brand because even if it means that they aren't getting a majority of sales from existing customers, presumably they're doing a good job of converting new ones. Yes. And this is an important part of their model to increase the direct channel because obviously it's higher margin, uh, but also you're able to reach out to a customer once you get them in your your database, uh, you're working on that repurchase. So I do think that's a smart strategy as well. As for the other 60% that's wholesale, they've got partners in 50 countries across 8,100 stores. That sounds like a big number, but they've been very methodical since their founding in working with very small running shops and larger chains as well. So they're selective about which stores their shoes uh, fall into. Um, Emily, you liked the fact that uh, the store in New York City seems very experiential. It is. It's it's a flagship store. Um, it's their first store in New York City, and they have uh, again, it's a destination. So it's not intended to be really accretive in terms of sales, although I'm sure that's what they want. But it's a brand building store, and one of the aspects of the store that I thought was cool was that they have what they call their magic wall. It's a digital wall in front of the streets of New York City that you can run in front of, and it will analyze your running style, then recommend a shoe type to you. These kind of tech-enabled aspects make the brand stand out as a, you know, one that I think people be willing to pay more for because of the technology and the research that's gone in behind it. Yeah, I wonder if I visit that store and it scanned my running style, if it wouldn't stop and just tell me, uh, this isn't the store for you, <laughs> your running style so bad. <laughs> There's a store down the street for middle-aged men who uh, maybe need loafers. Um, let's talk about this expansion. So they started in Switzerland, as you mentioned entered Germany in 2011, the US and Japan in 2013, most recently China and Brazil in 2018. But Emily, that's not what really started to propel them over the last few years. Oh, I can't believe you're going to make me say this because I'm about <laughs> to embarrass myself. The business really started to take off when Roger Federer? Federer. Federer? I, I, Emily, this is I can't believe this. Embarrassing. You're, you're <laughs> revealing something about yourself, which I never would ex have expected. But Pray Which proceed, is that I don't Roger watch Federer. Sports. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Yes. Federer. Roger proceed. Federer. Thank you, Asit. I really should have done, figured that out before we came into the podcast, but I guess in the back of my mind, I was hoping you'd be the one to read this point. Um, but he's a professional Swiss tennis player, apparently world-renowned <laughs> Swiss tennis player. Um, he actually took a, t a shining to the shoes. Uh, in 2019, he came on to the business and they actually worked with him to develop a Roger line of products that were specifically focused to reinvent the tennis shoe. I, I love, again, that we're having another professional athlete come onto the business talking about the technology, but more just the aspect that I, I think is maybe underrated in this business. We talk to this point about running, but this is really a shoe that can be customized to fit the needs of any type of athlete. So whether it's tennis, maybe eventually something like soccer or basketball, whatever it may be, I think on running has the internal research and development team to make that a reality as I did here with Roger. 
Yeah, I, I think they absolutely do. I uh, just want to point out that that's a tremendous brand endorsement. And because we've moved to this shorter format for the podcast, Emily, you're off the hook. I'm not going to berate you for the next five minutes that you don't know who <laughs> Roger Federer is or how big a brand he is in the sports world and in the consumer world in general. Let's move on. Uh, we talked about them incorporating ESG factors into their uh, shoe development. They've got a recyclable shoe. And they estimate they've cut down on the environmental impact of shoe production by about 50% with this shoe. It's called the Cyclone. It's only available via a subscription model. Basically, you use the shoe, you send it back, you get a new pair. I think that might be a fun blueprint for future higher margin sales since we see everyone and his brothers moving to the subscription model in this world. Um, also briefly wanted to mention they do have a very high net promoter score like Allbirds. Uh, a net promoter score of 66, which is nearing world-class. So they have advocates of their brand. Customers seem to be pretty satisfied in general. And even as we're taping here on Motley Fool Live, I see a comment coming in from somebody who says, oh, my daughter has a pair of these shoes and she loves it. Again, goes back to the fact that people who purchase the shoes do tend to enjoy being brand endorsers as well. Uh, personally, I'm really, I don't know anybody who has them yet. Granted, again, I am not deep into the running world, but I'm getting sold on them throughout this research. Yeah, so we're taping live uh, here on Motley Fool Live, Emily. So for those of you who are going to listen to this later, just before the podcast uh, started, I was mentioning that I was in Chicago last week and I saw tons of young people uh, wearing these shoes. I was very surprised. I know there's a scientific phenomenon where you don't see something in nature and then you see it like every day afterward. I've forgotten the name of the effect, but it certainly happened to me. <laughs> Certainly. So let, let's talk about the financial performance here because, you know, we've talked about the brand, but how does it translate into numbers? And I will say, um, translated nicer than I think I expected it to in, in terms of financial performance. In fact, the, the total amount of revenue that this business is doing was pretty staggering to me. Um, they have expected revenue of around 700 million ish this year. So, uh, just, I would say, almost a billion dollars USD in sales, which I think is pretty impressive, again, for a, sh a relatively niche shoe business. But over the past six months, revenue has grown nearly 85%. Uh, really interesting business. Yeah, they've got a very uh, healthy long-term growth rate. Uh, I think over the past couple of years, their compounded annual growth rate let's say since 2018, is about 35%. Sales do look like they're tapering off a bit uh, this year, but that's either maybe a COVID effect or it could have something to do with seasonality. Traditionally, they've had a stronger third and fourth quarter uh, every year. Last year, the company recorded 60% of total sales in its third and fourth quarters. So maybe there is just a little bit of normalization from both of those factors. If you've already purchase this recent IPO, you're going to want to monitor those third and fourth quarters. I like that they are expanding into Europe, Emily. 52% of their sales uh, come from North America. The company talked about, has talked about in various interviews, the importance of that North American market, that huge sneaker running shoe market. Um, so they've done very well here. They get about 41% of their sales uh, from Europe. Only 6% in Asia, but they are expanding in Asia, they've got a few retail stores. They're going to add more. So I think that's a wide open white space for them. I also want to point out in the financials that their balance sheet is pretty clean. 
Now, they report in Swiss francs, they raised about 555 million Swiss francs in their IPO. Let's call that 600 million greenbacks. That brings the company's working capital balance to about 750 million Swiss francs against only 170, 50 million in long-term liabilities. And most of those are long-term lease obligations. So they've got quite a stash there, Emily, uh, with which they can invest in inventory. They're going to be building out new headquarters both in Europe and uh, Portland this year, and they're opening a Berlin office. They've got the retail expansion. But they've got plenty of dry powder now for all of those objectives, and also that research and development uh, aspect of the company, which you mentioned earlier, which gives them possible expansion into their apparel and accessories lines, which right now make up only about 5% of the business, but hold some promising optionality going forward. I, I do like that in-house research team. It reminds me of businesses that kind of grew up from that level, something like Lululemon, where you know they had an idea and they ran with it. I wonder what On can do next. Again, I think there's probably some untold optionality with uh, where the shoes could go. I, I do feel like we talked a lot about running here, and, and that really is this business's bread and butter, but they do have other options, right? They have apparels, they have other types of shoes. So worth noting that I think management is thinking about that. That being said, there are obviously risks associated with this business. And the one that just stood out to me like a sore thumb was simply the valuation that we're seeing right now. And I know it's an age-old adage that great businesses never look cheap, but this is a did I read this correctly? A $24 billion business? Um, I, I know I was impressed with their sales, but again, less than a billion dollars in sales, really t- relatively low margin. I think uh, this business, if it stays at $24 billion, would be trading at something like 1700 price to earnings if they're able to achieve that 2% net income margin this year. So this is, I don't know, it, it strikes me as expensive, just put it lightly. Yeah, to paraphrase from the Lord of the Rings, we hate it, precious. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter now what you do when you come to market. If you've got very, very strong revenue growth, the market's going to assign you an insane multiple. They almost don't look at anything else. Here we have a manufacturer with a decent 52% gross margin, but that doesn't deserve this kind of price to sales multiple. Now, Roger Federer being a, a big brand advocate, the fact that the company, as just a running shoe company primarily, has been able to generate so much revenue, maybe is something that you can look forward to if you are a very long-term holder. But this is the kind of business that I would put on the radar screen just for like a market crash if it looked like it got a steep haircut during a market correction. I would consider it then. This is almost setting up to fail if the business that you're buying, the underlying business, is not a software as a service company. This kind of multiple valuation on either the the net income side or or the, the revenue side works if you're selling software doesn't quite work as well if you're selling sneakers. So I, I didn't like that about it. This is already, as you mentioned, a $24 billion market cap business. So not a lot of room here for error. 
And that might become increasingly challenging as we think about the supply chain issues that have impacted so many businesses this year. And again, these are probably short-term problems. So I think if you're a long-term fan of on holdings, of their running shoe, if you're interested in in owning shares for the long-term, you know, you can can tune me out now because this will be very short-termist. But we have seen a lot of issues regarding supply chains as a result of the COVID lockdowns across Southeast Asia, especially in Vietnam. And since um, on holdings does manufacture internally, right? They're not in the United States manufacturing. They are outsourcing. That does mean that, hey, next quarter, next couple of quarters, uh, we're probably going to see some issues. Maybe they won't be able to keep up with demand if their supply is limited thanks to these, these protocols. Yeah, that's a very keen observation. Sometimes supply chain problems aren't about uh, not being able to deliver product. They're about not being able to capitalize on demand. This company has now roughly 100% of its footwear products sourced, manufactured in Vietnam. That's an advantage vis-a-vis having all of your manufacturing centered in China, but it creates a, a brand new risk in that everything is focused on this one small country. Uh, on has always maintained sort of this outsourced distribution and manufacturing um, philosophy, which helps them with their, their net income. And it's a provides a path to future profitability. But maybe in the future, management will will see them branch out into a wider distribution and manufacturing footprint. It's a different story for their apparel and accessories. Those are a little more uh, diversified in terms of manufacturing. But again, that's only 5% of the business for now. So a little bit of a risk there. And Emily, one last risk before we go. Um, Internal controls. I I haven't heard you mention this risk before in any of the companies we've discussed. Yes, it's a completely new risk. It's going to sound really unfamiliar to everybody listening. I'm a broken record about it. At this point, there isn't a single business that I'm looking at that probably doesn't have some issues with internal controls, which part of me hopes that at some point in the future, this results in some type of meltdown that reminds everybody that these things are very important. But with the way the market is going right now, it's almost like I just have to take it at face value, which is you know, good companies, not quite prepared at the same level they should be necessarily to be public companies and um, on holdings alongside 90% of the companies that we talk about here on the Consumer Goods Podcast does have issues with internal controls. Something to keep your eye out. If, if this is a deal breaker for you, if you know, you should know it up front. If it's a yellow flag, be aware. Um, there's risk for for material misstatements here. Although I will say I like the fact that this company is is moving towards profitability. The last six months have been profitable. My hope is that they take some of this money. Maybe they don't necessarily put it all into research and development for new shoes, but they take some of it, hire people with the appropriate accounting knowledge is necessary to be a public company. So that's that's my hope, but it is a risk. Yeah, I think they just uh, capitalized, as so many companies have, on a hot market uh, for IPOs and, and new issues. And uh, it's a great piece of advice for management. Now, yeah, you, you came to market, maybe rush a little bit, but let's fix some of these issues and invest where the growth will, will be strongest. And perhaps an unfair question to you as we, we finish up here. Uh, between On Holdings and uh, Allbirds, does one of these stand out to you as a business that you're more interested in in comparison to the other? It has to be on because of the sheer scale, you know, that uh, close to half a million bucks in USD revenue in uh, just the last six months, plus that big brand endorsement from Roger Federer, which I will kid you about offline. 
I think that this company has maybe a, an easier path to becoming a bigger brand, especially if they pour some money into accessories and Lululemon eyes their, their offerings a little bit. So yeah, it has to be that, but that's not to say I'm not interested in Allbirds. I like their story. I like the sustainability focus and that's one to watch too and, and is maybe a little more sanely priced. Yep, I, I definitely agree with your analysis there. And the next time I'm in New York, you know I'm going out of my way to go run in front of that magic wall. Yeah, same here. <laughs> well, Asit, thank you so much as always for joining. It was great fun, Emily. Thanks so much. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out to say hi, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet at us at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Ozit Sharma, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on! Fool on!